Who wants to tell you who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Hey everybody, welcome back to Java Chat. I always say welcome back, it's funny. I, I assume everybody's coming back, at least I, I think you are. If it's your first time, welcome. Come sit down, have a cup of coffee with us and, and hang out. We are sitting today with a, a guest who's been with us once before, Catherine Jensen Burkett, uh, who is, let me make sure I say this correctly. She has a master's in public health, but she is now in private practice. And she does a lot of really cool stuff. If you didn't listen to the first one, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, go listen to the first one, the first part one, if you will, because you get to learn who she is and what she's about, her history and her story. The reason I wanted her to come back is because we started getting into certain subjects that we just didn't have enough time to talk about. So one, thanks for coming back. Appreciate having oh, you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I'm so happy to be back. Yeah. I, I, I think we... We had a few subjects that we t we wanted to dig into that we really didn't get a chance to dig into. And and just for just for convenience's sake for those who are first timers, just a real short background on what it is that you do now. Not your not your history. We already went through that. But what yeah, do you yeah, do yeah. Got it. Well, if I can also make one clarification. So I had a career change 20 years ago. So I have a master's ah. in public health and that was one journey, which yep. was amazing. Yep. But my focus now with a master's in counseling and a license is actually as a th psychotherapist, now an author and a teacher. So what I do now is run a private practice. I do retreats and groups as I can. COVID's changed my world, but you know, work with world. it as I yeah, can. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I do podcasting, which is great. I just really am pretty passionate about the path of conscious living and loving, mm -hmm. which is, you know, everything that I'm doing in any of the different forms, what I bring to the table. Interesting. Some of the things that she does discuss, like um, mindfulness and, and there, there was, a, there were a couple of things that we wanted to go digging into. One had to do with big changes and we didn't mm -hmm. get to really go too far into that one. And I think a lot of people, like as of right now, even big changes have been utterly forced into certain people's lives only because mm -hmm. of, you know, what we're dealing with on the health side and, and some of the other things that are going on in the world as much as in a world. Uh, and when I say a world, I'm talking about you, the listener uh, or the viewer, because um, our worlds have all changed. I, I don't care where you're at. Something has affected everything around us. You just heard Catherine say that COVID affected her practice. COVID's affected our, our agency. It's affected the, the nice thing about podcasting is you don't have to be in the same room, which is really nice, but still there were major changes that happened. And it used to be a question before, you know, what if I want to make a big change? You know, how do I do it? At this point, we're looking at, we've kind of been forced to make a big change. How do we how do we deal with that? I mean, what's what's the process of thought behind that? Well, I think you made such an important distinction. Big changes are scary, and a lot of people get really stuck in paralysis when mm -hmm. I'm choosing it. But it's mm -hmm. a really different thing psychologically when I'm not choosing this change. 
and to be able to work with more of the complicated feelings. But I'm kind of a fan of resistance because it's kind of like a difficult child. It's like, you know, some of the greatest stuff <laughs> is in working within ourselves about our resistance. So, you know, other than, you know, potentially even going to jail, if I break certain laws that I don't agree with, mm -hmm. how do I work with it when it isn't my preference? And so I think, first of all, just not resisting resistance is kind of an operating principle in my world. So just to be curious about like, wow, Catherine, part of you is really resistant to continuing to do your practice on Zoom. So as I listen to that resistance, as I honor it rather than fight it or push it down and power through, I might be thinking, well, why art? What, what, what is that about? Well, I, my back really hurts. My neck, you know, is really affected with my long days. Well, mm -hmm. what could I do about that? Which is body work. Right. And maybe getting a better ergonomically correct situation. Yeah. <laughs> rather than just either be like, I hate this, because, you know, this is not flattening the curve. This is now eight months and going into a winter with this. So, so listening to the resistance, the resistance itself, almost like a part of you that you could put a microphone to, like the one you have, and it would talk to you, will give you some ideas about what it needs. And then resistance starts to go down. The second thing I think in practice with all adversity, forced or unforced, is, you know, where's the good? There's yeah. incredible good with these changes. I get to be doing home visits with people, basically. I know all their animals. I know what's on their walls. Sometimes I know what, you know, pajamas they're wearing because they might have a pajama top on. There's just a connection that has happened through this process. Even when we go back, I'll always have this year with, with certain people. So I think looking for the good is hugely helpful emotionally to working with kind of force big change. When you're, when you're, and, and I see this a lot on, on the younger generation, especially like on TikTok, which is where I hang, I hang out a lot. <clears throat> I notice a lot of the younger generation have a tendency to go and literally sit in the hardship. And when I say that, I mean like they will literally post something some of them meaningfully like, I'm just here. This is just me sharing, you know, I'll get through this. But some genuinely sitting there going, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what's next. I don't know how to do that. And of course, you know, TikTok being a decent community as it is, the outpouring of support that flies at them in the comments is awesome. Um, mm -hmm. You'll always have your trolls. But if you're having to deal with this stuff on your own and you're not able to do that, I, I think, I, you know, again, looking for the good becomes tough. I mean, how do you, how do you shake yeah. yourself out of that? Well, a couple of things. So a third piece, maybe just to your point, is this idea of undoing aloneness. And when we think about how do we get through things, you know, we're herd creatures. We're not good in separation, yeah. quarantine, yeah. isolation. We can see it's kind of like polar bears who start to lose their fur mm -hmm. and start to pace in a zoo. They're going insane. Yeah. That's because they can't move. They can't go. They are not yeah, with their, they yeah. Move. So it's, I feel like we're all in that kind of like this captivity yeah. Yeah. place and losing our hair and losing our minds. So mm. part of it is when somebody- so You're not posts, losing any hair. I'm the one that's losing hair. <laughs> 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 Great. 
<laughs> you keep the gray. I'll lose post, my hair. That's fine. <laughs> right. When people post and they're not alone, that's actually really deep medicine. Yes, it doesn't fix a problem. It doesn't yeah. mean I can physically go be with you. It doesn't mean COVID goes away. Hmm. But undoing aloneness, and especially people that hit hit this year, personally already struggling with some depression, some anxiety. They already maybe had just recently gotten single. So they th then this is kind of an amplification. Yeah. I also am hugely a fan of challenging our thoughts. You know, there's some kind of crazy statistic about most of our thoughts are actually not true. Yeah. And I know we're in a, in a time where we need to feel like there are things that are true and we can find our feet and there are there's solid, you know, things in science and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But just the understanding that if I have a thought that is really triggering and disabling to me, just the idea that what if that's not true? You know, no one's called me. It's like, I must not be important to them. Well, oh, that's yeah. a pretty disturbing thought. Yeah, it is. But what if that literally is not true? Unless everybody in my life turned and said, Catherine, you're actually not important to me anymore. I can't know that's true. That's a projection. But our mind creates our feelings a lot of the time. And so when I believe something, then it, it's basically like the experience is as real as it can get. I, it's, it's kind of funny that it, you say that because I, I do even see that going on where a lot of people it's almost as if they want it to be true and my first thinking is why would you run down that road you well, you, uh, you really don't you really don't know the evidence it's you don't know really the evidence there. but here's the deal it's it's this crazy you know here we're in the world of psychodynamics if you <laughs> believe you are unlovable mike a part of you, of course, that's a miserable idea of oneself, mm -hmm. but because it's the truth that you believe, it's a belief system you yeah. have, yeah, yeah, yeah. you will actually go find evidence, you will screen out evidence where you are loved, and you will even create evidence to support your inner belief system. So whatever we believe, we're pretty much having the experience of confirmation bias. I, if I, I believe the world just about is to it, ask, is that what that is, right. is confirmation bias? Okay. Now that's that makes right. sense. That makes right. absolute sense. What do you do? And and this is and this becomes again. This is always going to be a choice. I, I don't care what level you're at. What can you do to choose to opt out of that so that you can begin getting away from the confirmation bias and start? Because like, you just said looking for the good in things. But how many people do we know are actually going to stop themselves from doing that? And well, actually it used, yeah, it's such a great question. And actually the field has changed when I first was in it and also as participated in therapy, there was this idea you could stop your thoughts. You actually can't stop your thoughts unless you're heavily medicated. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a potential consequence for some of us in that. So, but what you can do is begin to understand the nature of the mind and whether you like mindfulness or meditation or not, just the fact that you could witness, oh, there's my mind telling me these crazy stories. There's another part of me noticing my mind not, it doesn't have to believe that, the right. witness. <clears throat> and so just that piece, and then of course, if you can deepen that through meditation practices, then it, it kind of like, I don't own my thoughts and they don't own me. And what I believe is the good is even felt inside of us. I don't have to go look and say like, oh good, it's not raining today, or oh, somebody smiled at me. Mm. You know, there's so much good <clears throat> around us. So I think that that's just more easily experienced and seen once we can get out of our head is yeah. what it comes down to. <clears throat> so I <clears throat> I met a gentleman years ago as a, as a story, and this, this has to do with a physical ailment. 
but his mentality around it was really impressive to me and very inspiring. The gentleman had lupus. And, you know, it's a debilitating uh, condition for those that understand what lupus is. I, I have other friends that have it. It's, it's bad. When it gets you, it's, it's bad. Uh, you're, you're, you're down. You're literally down. You are not going to be doing anything for a while. He was on stage sharing his story at a, at a convention and his voice was inspiring. And everybody's like, he looks fine. He looks this, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, just so you guys know, I have lupus. And every, the whole room, now you're talking about a room of about 300, 400 people and everybody just went dead silent. And they're just like, uh-oh, here it comes. And he says, but lupus doesn't have me. Mm-hmm. Of course, the whole room breaks out into major cheers and, you know, big rah-rah. Yeah, but right. his mentality around it was exactly that. It was like, look, I get it. I got, I have something. Yeah, but it doesn't have me. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to let it get me here, right. you know, it's a lifelong fight. There is no cure yes. for it. So it's, yes. it's one of those deals where you consistently mentally have to commit to changing the path of thought. And, and like you said, honoring it, being, being the witness rather than the victim or the, or the perpetrator. If That's you right. That's right. And, and, and if be, we should... yeah, go ahead. No, finish that thought. <laughs> and, and, and be able to, and be able to realize that even if it is a physical thing, you have the means within yourself to be able to still see the good. His story touched so many people. That was his good. His good was being able to inspire other people for them to question, for them to question themselves as to why they weren't doing things, why they weren't taking the actions that they needed to take in daily life to be able to do what they said they wanted to do when they first got involved with this whole thing that we were dealing with. It was an MLM, but it, well, it, and I, there's a piece with this gentleman's story and, and, and an, a, a lifelong one of true and real vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so as he is not uh, letting this define him, if he is, we talked about our first hour, I believe, you know, yeah. this idea of a relationship to self is one of compassion, but it's yeah. an active one. It's as if you have a little Mike inside of you and a little Catherine inside of me, mm-hmm. a child sometimes, because we have young parts, but also just that sense of self that's relational. So as I am really loving and in deep practice of self-care, not just having a mental mindset mm-hmm. and an attitude, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the combination of those things you know, it's really powerful and everybody has something, if not multiple things that they yeah. contend with. And those are actually the times where we're in a way our most expansive, where we're really tested and we grow. It's like growing pains, you know, it's yeah. growing pains for yeah. growth. Yep. So I, I think that's a, a really powerful story. Yeah. It's, it's funny that that follows into another, another little subject about creating relationships. And, and a lot of people think that creating relationships is, is always external. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe mindfulness is the relationship that's completely internal is watching over yourself and making sure that that relationship is good. You mentioned the child within, uh, Mm -hmm. I remember going through personal growth uh, seminar where that was literally a focus in one of the sections of that, that Mm -hmm. class was to sit down and actually see your Mm -hmm. inner child come and see you. And talk to you. Yeah. Well, so mine didn't talk to me. Mine just stood there and smiled at me and, and oh. just stared. Wow. Mm. It still, it still reminds me to this day. 
That's yeah. That's the one who, when we when we don't honor ourselves, when we don't practice mindfulness, yes, that's who we're hurting. That's right. Well, and kind of circling back to the topic of it changes. So there's a kind of trauma that people don't think about. They think about trauma as, you know, head on car accidents, maybe the death of a parent when I'm five years old, sure. terrible abuse or molestation. Yep. Yep. There's a, there's a kind of relational trauma that's, that lives in us as scar tissue and is really important to heal. And that is when we were alone as youngsters with big feelings. So it's aloneness and big feelings. And that's how repression starts because the feelings are too big for the little psyche. And sometimes our parents just, just didn't have the emotional intelligence. They were off doing what they could probably improving from what they were raised with, but what they didn't bring to the table was that emotional availability. And so when we think about the topic of big changes, and if I'm really freaked out, Somebody astute in their personal work might understand that is this adult 58-year-old Catherine that's freaked out about this big change, or is there a young part that this is overwhelming to? And then we would not ask an eight-year-old to get a divorce. We would not ask a five-year-old to try to imagine a move to another country or deal with a chronic or you know debilitating illness we ask an adult to do that. And so what we say to that little one is like, this is too big for you but it's not too big for me. So you get to just be a kid. And as an adult, we have resources we didn't have as children, but the feeling is like when we're a kid, really overwhelmed. And so I think a whole bunch of people through this year of 2020 with how dynamic things have been, you know, their little ones are really activated, but they haven't done the work to understand. They're just having big feelings. They yeah. have no idea that we consider it kind of coming online. A young part has come online. Yeah. What, what are some of the, what are some of the signs that somebody can actually start recognizing so they can see that, that, that little one's getting overwhelmed? I mean, they're the obvious ones, but there's more subtle ones. What are some of the other signs that are not so apparent? Well, when feelings are unregulated, so both big and unregulated. <laughs> Welcome to the current U.S. status. I know. That's Jesus. right. Well, not to be mean to anybody, but yes, I <laughs> no, no, I'm not, not anti-right. Yeah, I'm not, not being mean to anyone at all. Right. I'm just saying was, the current state of the U.S. Exactly. right now. <laughs> That's right. Well, and it's interesting because another topic we might explore today is about bridging differences and how to deal with differences. Oh, we're getting into that like too. You, that's going to be that's yeah. going to be the next section for sure. It, it's the the idea of so so big unregulated feelings. Yeah. When all of a sudden you're kind of lost in something and you can really feel it in the bot in the body. The more mm -hmm. body work we do, the more actually even our ego, when our egos involved, usually that's a protective force from something yep. that feels like there is danger and harm. And usually it's not happening in real time. Right. I all of a sudden experience you as somebody, you remind me, but I don't know this is happening. Right. It's a reenactment of somebody that hurt me or somebody I didn't trust. And so a good question to ask when we're having big feelings is, how old do I feel right now? And if I feel like I'm five, I probably am. There's yeah. probably a young part <clears throat> in. And, and just in terms of, you know, when we think about maturation, if any of my behaviors are not signs of maturation, just kind of like taking a long view Right. Or understanding, I have a story right now. I have, I don't even have all the information. Mm -hmm. Those are not developed things within a child. So probably we're in kind of a younger state. Interesting. So there's a there's a subject that that you do talk you do touch on. 
uh, long fear. If I can remember how it was worded. Ways mm -hmm. to deal with long fear, uncertainty, and loss. That's what it was. Yeah. And I, I think, I think this kind of ties into what you were just talking about because a lot of people, I think they, they, they tend to run. I used to call these thought attacks. There's these thoughts that you, that you know for a fact, if you start entertaining them, you know exactly what road it's going to run down. You know you shouldn't go there, but your brain goes, sure, let's take a trip down memory lane. Yeah. And then you end up with these things that we, I, I used to call thought attacks, which are just basically worthless to anything mindful and, and not helpful well, to the little one. No, or it's the little one. So one of the things it could also be the little one going, Hey, let's right. see what this does. My, <laughs> yeah. Mindfulness is this idea about living in the moment. And I really say pretty frequently, but we do have to handle our affairs in the future and we do have to resolve and finish business in the mm -hmm. past. Mm -hmm. So some people use mindfulness actually, Mike, as a checking out. It's, it can be a defense. I'm just going to be right here and right now. And I'm not going to deal with my trauma. That's I'm not going to make lot. my amends. I'm not going to plan for my future. Mm -hmm. And I think that is not what mindfulness is. So we, a teacher once told me, you know, how to, how to, how to be in the present moment, but have, you know, resolved past and, and an organized future. It's like we dip our toe. Mm -hmm. So we dip our toe in the past. When, when you say those thoughts are going down memory lane, that would be a red flag if I'm you thinking hmm, maybe there's something unresolved. Yeah. That is why my mind keeps going back. Something is, is living inside of me that is unfinished, whether that's logical or not, whether I understand that or not. And that's, that's why a coach or a therapist is a great person to kind of dive into that and unpack that a little bit. But yes, I think that kind of how do we, how does the adult in us deal with uncertainty and mm -hmm. loss? Well, we mm -hmm. know that I'm not alone, including I have myself. I have resilience, but again, a, an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old might not know how resilient we are. We've barely lived life. Right. So I can know some things on my own behalf, and I have no idea how 2021 is going to go. It's probably going to be challenging. It's not all going to be done in six weeks. And so, but I can know that I'm not alone and I have that resilience and I have a kind of resourcefulness that we all do capacities to be resourceful. That's a lot in the backpack of dealing with hard things in life. So do I have to have all the answers when I know those answers? I kind of don't. And, and I, I would that tend to agree. I would tend to agree a lot because if, if you look at it from that perspective and, and, and literally guys, if you're listening to this or watching, I'm seriously suggesting shift your perspective and look at it from this. You got a backpack. It's got a lot of tools in it already. You just haven't unpacked it. You haven't looked at what's in there and, and everything that seems like a huge mountain in front of you, you're carrying a mountain climbers pack. Everything that seems like mm -hmm. it's a swamp in front of you. You got a swamp burners pack. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's really got everything that you need, but you need to literally take the time to unpack it and take a look and realize you're not alone. We'll take a short pause and we'll come right back getting into the next subject that we were going to talk about. So we'll, we'll, there's, there's more to unpack. I, I think just at this point though, understanding that from the perspective of being a responsible, mindful human, this is not, not being the mindful adult, being on the mindful human is the ability to see that it's not all bad. You're right. 2021 isn't going to happen in six weeks. Thank goodness. 
And at the same time, is it going to be tough? Well, you know, they said life was an adventure. That's how you're supposed to live it. If you look at it from the standpoint of everything's against me, then it's not going to be an adventure. And if I could just quickly add, if we can learn from this year, mm-hmm. and if every crisis really is an opportunity, what is the opportunity if life is going to, as it will in certain ways, continue to be difficult and challenging and something we've not contended with? So we need to be opportunistic. Love that. I'm going to leave that right there. We'll be back in about 30 seconds. We're going to discuss something else about overcoming differences because that's a huge thing that's, that's <laughs> seriously lacking right now. We'll be back at 30. See you guys in just a minute. We're back. Java Chat, part two with Catherine Jensen Burkett. We're talking a little bit more about, we were talking about mindfulness and and how to deal with the challenges that we're dealing with. That was inside. And now we want to talk about outside because there's some serious issues going on right now between people that I would, Tend to, when you when you guys hear how she addresses this, I agree with her. It, it doesn't need to be where it's at. It's gotten mm-hmm. out of hand. I mean, literally, it's gotten out of hand. When you have a difference with somebody, mm-hmm. how you handle something like that. So, I'm gonna kind of let you just run with this. Okay. Explain where it comes from, and and then we can start talking about how mm-hmm. how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess. You and I kind of in a pre-chat for this interview talked about just even the operating premise that maybe we are of an age to remember a time where diversity of opinion, not diversity of race and nationality, the other important kinds of diversity, but diversity of perspective and opinion was not innately threatening. That was not innately threatening. And I'm not quite sure yet. I'm sure anthropologists will help us in years to come as sociologists about what happened in our culture that this shift began to be there. But I want to return to that as an operating premise that if you and I disagree, it really is okay. And I, because I'm not used to doing this, maybe in our culture, we're not getting better at this. We're getting worse at this. It's learning to hold space for dual realities. And that is a real thing. And it's not fun. I love it when you agree with me because there's a resonance there. But when we think about if we disagree, what's the big deal? What is the actual threat? It's usually actually just a little feeling of loss. But then I can be curious. And then maybe with the tool I have, there may be less loss than I'm imagining. And I'll talk to you about my four-step tool in a minute around collaboration. It's Mm -hmm. literally called Bridging Differences. But that operating premise, I just want us all to take a deep breath, exhale, and imagine expanding the space and being curious and receptive to other perspectives. Not that I will adopt them, but I might. Receptivity as I might. The one guess I have is I I think there's this idea, we talked about it the first time, about worth. The idea that... that I need validation, that when you agree with me, that validates me. Well, I would offer that I need to have intrinsic worth and that I should not look to others to validate my perspective. Like what is true for me stands on its own. And if I can hold that space, that is an easier way to hold the bigger space of like, oh, wow, we see this really differently, don't we, Mike? That's okay. I know what's true for me. But if I don't, if I'm looking for you to agree with me because I can't feel my feet under me, there's going to be pressure. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge your facts. 
there's going to be this kind of uh, a different agenda that I may not even realize. Validation yeah. is a huge driver. So we need to have an operating premise. The diversity is our friend mm -hmm. and bring curiosity and receptivity to it. And that we're not looking valid for validation around our own position or perspective. So then the tool that I developed, and it was really straightforward, and it really came through working with a lot of couples, because my job as a couples therapist is I couldn't choose a side. And I would literally see... Wait, I'm sorry. Did, did you say you can't choose a side? I don't choose a side. I, I, got, I got about 15 people I wanted to refer you to because they there need to learn go. that shit. There you go. You, you, uh, yeah. We'll get into that one next. Please continue. <laughs> Well, it's so funny when I start a new couple, because sometimes people have gone to other couples therapists and they come to me and they're, they launch and it's oh, like, yeah. okay, whoever starts first is going to get Catherine on her side, right? <laughs> and I just say, so I love what you've shared. And to the other person, I say, by the way, I don't make any assumptions that that's your reality. And by the way, I also won't take a side. So I'm hoping that we can still work together. And they kind of, it's like, but, well, then what do we do if you're not yeah, going to pick a side? Exactly. But, but I right. want to fight. I want to fight. Right. It's not that, about I'm a like, fight. That's right. I'm like, well, even if you want to spend the money on me being in your fight, I don't want to earn money. That way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the tool is that I I could feel the vast difference because people were positional because that's an ego state and, and differences bring out our egos. Yeah. So one of the ideas of this is practicing non-attachment. Like if we're going to truly be collaborative, I may or may not exact get exactly my way, but I'm open to... Um, starting a process. So that's kind of a beginning mindset. Yeah. And then what I do is have people describe their difference. You want a dog. I don't want a dog. You really want a dog. Like it's really important to you. And I really don't want a dog. Like that's a real thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then what it has, I ask it, it has ended relationships. Like I, yes, I can exactly. tell you that one. <laughs> or children or move. Right. So the next step, and I say, we don't know what the answer is going to be. We do not know whether or not we're going to get a dog. So you have to let go of that outcome is I want you both to find common ground. So what I would do, even though it gives up some of my position, because this is kind of transcending the ego, mm -hmm. I might say, well, sometimes I kind of want a dog. Now, if you're not in your ego, you're not going, see, yeah. I'm right. Because <clears throat> what you would do, not playing to position and finding common ground is, you know, sometimes it's really nice to just pick up a go and not deal with an animal. And I know that's going to cost us a bunch of money. And I do kind of think about that. Now, it's not that I still don't want a dog and you still do want a dog, but it, it moves us closer. And I think about like a really big river becomes more like a creek. Like our differences are, are not so big. There is some common ground. And then the third step is, okay, let's start developing options, still not knowing whether we're going to get a dog or not, mm -hmm. to um, see if there's one that's kind of a win-win. So we might put an option on the table of what if we foster dogs? And then we could take breaks. Okay, let's there's just idea. sit yeah. with that. And would that be <clears throat> enough dog for you? And could I work with that, you know, in terms of having bread? You know, that's an option. We haven't chosen it yet. Mm -hmm. We could get a dog and actually commit to rehoming if it didn't work out. Right. We could postpone this decision for six months, not get a dog. And I could just, we could do more information gathering about maybe I just the kind of dog. Yeah. You see, once we get into a creative process, when our differences are not as broad, then to then to me we can find something like you know what 
I can say, you could say not getting a dog, dog, I'm not willing to put that off the table, but I could wait, or I am willing to foster, like something might just kind of land as, okay, we're going to, we're going to go with this option. So that's the fourth step. So, so it's, yeah, go ahead. So it's define your perspective, but yeah. not to be positional. Yeah. Secondly, find common ground and find common ground with the other person's perspective. Third, develop more than two options, two or more options that, that both people could consider living with and then pick an option and work with it and kind of circle back and see how that went. So, you know, at this point, you you're either going to get a dog or not. It's going to go yeah. one way. So, you're either going to so, have a kid or not. There's no way to split the difference on that. But th the whole goal would be to find a way to not How do you split the difference resentment. on a kid? Oh, my That's gosh. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So when hey. we think about the politics, how many people are willing to go, mm. okay, I'm going to give up some positioning. I got, I got, I got a good one. Ground. Yeah. yeah. What's funny is, is there is a ton of common ground and they, and, and the extreme sides don't want to see it. it. It's all the ego stuff that at least is what I've seen. But I also have been watching a bunch of creators on TikTok that are both sides. The ones that are wild out, I, I don't pay attention to, but I've actually seen two sides of the same coin literally come together. And at first it was boom, boom. And then after that, they would get together and talk on another platform. Like I can't remember his name, but somebody did some kind of call out saying that he said something about another creator and that creator said something. And he literally went to their Instagram and reached out and said, Hey, I just want to have a conversation. I want you to understand something. This is what I said. This is what I meant. I don't want any misunderstandings here. And although their perspectives are decidedly different, they're not really far out, but they're decidedly different. He literally came back on TikTok and he says, you know what? I want you guys to understand something. I respect this person because they had, they had, the, they had the guts to come back and actually have a conversation with me. And while we don't agree, I respect them for what they were able to do, which is sit down yeah. and have a conversation. Well, so the, what we didn't talk about today is kind of the tool I have that is much more complicated, but it involves how to have a conversation. It's a communication yeah. tool. Yeah. And one of the parts of my communication tool that I added, because I really love nonviolent communication as kind of a building block, but it didn't have all the things I needed in it because right. I was seeing every, I was seeing so much poor communication. I have regulating emotion regulating anger in that tool. So you have to bring your calm self to the table. Yeah, you have to bring... I think, I think that's what's missing. Again, on both that's sides, huge. that's what's missing. Exactly. The ego, the ego runs yes. the passion run and it pulls the anger and immediately where everybody starts going, bang, 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 bang. That's right. That's right. It's not necessary. Well, we actually can't get into the other part of our creative brain. If you're yeah. so angry and you're trying to talk, my system at a nervous system level actually starts to shut down. Yeah. So we truly cannot excuse me, have that expansive, like, wow, there is a lot of common ground. We ultimately sometimes have to make a decision, or maybe we just kind of can see each other's perspective with a lot more respect. Yeah. But communication is part of collaboration. Yeah. Collaboration is about common ground and creativity, If we, especially if we have to make a decision, and really getting ego out of it. And I just think in that way, maybe we're a young country, or maybe we just have to go through a stage that is a lot about power and control. And, That's, and that seems to that seems to be the driving factor behind all of these crazy conversations that are that are happening that are dividing everybody, is that there's another agenda driving behind it all, and yeah. and I I I'm not gonna say what one or the other agenda may be, but 
I think if more took inventory of themselves before looking at what's yes. being pushed as an agenda, That's they would right. probably see there's a lot more in common than they exactly. think with the That's ones right. that they keep saying are so far off on one side or the other. I, I have yeah. friends on both sides. I am yeah. more of a centrist anyway. And boy, when they start in, I'm like, the first thing I do is like, okay, hold up. Before you start going running down that road, you know how I feel about this. And yeah. The, and the more you push on that, you realize what I'm going to do. And that's, yes. and that's basically, I'm either going to give you more facts. I'll honor what you believe. I'm not going to ever tell you you're wrong, but I'm going to give you more facts. And I'm going to let you see the other side. And you hate but, when I do that. So let's, let's figure out where we want to go from here. <laughs> well, if you and I were to start that conversation, what I would say with anyone, and this is kind of communication, good communication practice too. First of all, get consent. We don't do that. We just start talking. We don't actually ask somebody, I, hey, can I have this conversation? Yeah, exactly. Consent is like not just about the Me Too movement. It's about a lot of things. And consent oh, yeah. is important. Then we need to, if I'm just going to talk at you, and can't bring curiosity and receptivity. It's actually not a conversation. There's no conversation. It's just two yeah. monologues. Yeah. And probably we'll just get activated. So two monologues. The difference between late night and the David Letterman show. One of the there we go. <laughs> so we're going to have a conversation. We're going to do those two things. But what, what I feel like is another piece of this. And for me, this whole year, a good thing that has happened is veils have lifted around the depth of systemic racism in my perspective. And I think one of the sad things that we've, the lemonade we've drank and we didn't know we drank it is individualism. And that is, we are tribal creatures. Yep. That is the human way that is the mammal way or us as mammals. And so we, this kind of independence, individualism kind of approach has an idea like getting there together is more meaningful and powerful and ultimately satisfying than going it alone, we've lost that, or yeah. some generationally never had that. I can get my book if I need to. There's a proverb that an African proverb that I start the chapter, that part of bridging differences, that it actually feels really good, but not from the ego. I didn't get my way. Remember, like I wanted a lilac book in a certain part of my yard. It's a small example. But every time I normally would have gotten my way because I had a strong ego, then I tried to grow up in my marriage, which I have. And as we collaborated, I would look at that, that lilac bush and in the old paradigm, it would have been like, oh, I didn't get my way. That's not where it's supposed to be. Right. But it always represented symbolically. Like, I'm so proud that like, it's really nice there and it's way nice enough, but it represents that I listened to my partner and he had a vote. And I, get, and I really respected his input and together we figured out what would work for both of us. I know it's a small example, but it is this like, it truly did feel better to lay my you, head on you, the pillow you know that what, night. You know what you're describing? Hmm. You're describing hope. Mm. If you think about it, when you can talk about a group of people that would normally not see eye to eye, able to walk together, like literally walk together on the same path, maybe not in the same perspective, but at least walk together right. on the same path and know that each side is validated for their perspectives and, and, and validated may not be the word, but respected for their perspectives. Let's put it that way. Respected for their perspectives and the ability to be able to share those perspectives without fear of any kind of retribution or action or anything like that, but in honoring that's hope because it at that so point, hopeful. because yeah. at that point you're, you now know that you're not going to get down for something that you say, even if it's wild. 
That and that is also I'm glad you're saying that you're not using the words cancel culture, but that piece of like it is that, it that, is play, actually, that has no place in our that that culture has no place in our society. That that just well, that's no good. It doesn't do I anything. agree. And so it's actually as as if we are truly to be so it, it reinforces this isolation and individualism. Yeah. I'm not safe with you. If I post right. something authentically then there's shaming and there is a danger in doing that. And so then there's performative posting yep. and there's performative masks that we have on in the world. Yep. Yep. And so that we, but you know, we're having this conversation, so this can be undone. And I really, really love your words. It's not about a shared perspective, but that could be very much closer. It is about shared path. Yeah. And that is a really exciting idea about, I want diversity. I I don't want clones of me in my life. I want to stretch in ways that, you know, perspective or otherwise practices. What a, what a boring ass life if everybody's like me. Jesus, yes. are you kidding me? Yeah. The, and the idea too is that just because my perspective of looking at something, that doesn't mean that my perspective is the best. I'm not going to come up with the best solution for everything. There has to be a diversity of, of, of perspectives. Because yes. I'm going to, just because, you know, <laughs> it's the difference between the PE teacher versus the scientist. You know, if yeah. there's a problem, the scientists will come up with a formula to figure out and begin to, to understand it. The PE teacher, That's go take right. a lap. Right. And Well, exactly. And <laughs> you'd be surprised at how much the PE teacher might, you know, contribute to some, you know, bring in something that would be a in, surprise. But in some ways idea. that taking a lap would help. And in some ways exactly. the science would help. It's just, but you can't exactly. take it to everything is, is no, the point. Right. It, that's right. And it's more holistic. The the yeah. idea that then we're not looking for validation. And so, you know, I, I think it's yeah. worth saying in this segment too, or this interview too, worth is a is a thing. Yeah. And if oh, I yeah. don't understand that, it's not even about like having a relationship with myself or having knowing there are young parts that we were saying earlier. Yeah. If I don't have that worth very subtly, but very consistently, I will be looking for validation in my life. And if we have that driver. I can't have a lesser interesting or effective solution. I have to compete with you. It just means I have to compete and that, you know, we have to start to undo some of those trappings, which this kind of conversation can. Yep. yep. Um, <clears throat> very yeah. easily, very, very easily. And it's not that competition is a bad thing. It's just what, where is that competition happening? You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's where it's cancel culture. It's where that, yeah. I need validation from you. But yeah, certainly if we can play a game and, of courage. And, and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that and that and that goes back to that if if you're if you're worried about other people validating what what it is that you think is valid, yeah. you're looking in the wrong spot. It's not about it's not about validation, and 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 it certainly isn't about cancel culture. That again, we both agree that that's just that's got to go. But validation isn't supposed to be an external thing. It's supposed to be you within yourself and your own relationship. At least that's how yeah. I understood it. Yeah. If you're valid in your own mind, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Well, it's interesting. Yes. And I, when we really know that we are as good as, but no better than, see, yeah. that no better than has to come in that too. You know, I, that's how I, with my book, which surprised people, I could reach out to some pretty famous people because I, I now know I am no less. I am my own person. I am no better, but they probably need a book on wakefulness too. I do. I read my own book. I need other books. And so I could reach out and not like, oh, how did you do that? How did you approach? It's like, if I sat with the Dalai Lama, it's like, I would, there, 
I thou, you know, there would be this just, it it actually is then very connective because I can be in my body in the presence of people that are really powerful and really insightful, potentially famous, but I can look at a homeless person, not with judgment and say, I am no better than that person. And I can have my ideas and feelings about, especially in Portland, Oregon, the amount of homelessness there is, but I am no better than that homeless person. And so it's a connection. We become, to to extend that a little bit, we become curious with everyone. Yeah, love that. And love like that. like, there was a there was a guy, and I'm not sure if he's still in Hawaii, but they, his nickname was Diaper Man. I don't know what his real name was. Apparently, he was a med student that snapped, was homeless, and and did run around with an adult diaper. The EMTs knew him well. And the reason they knew him is because they could get into these wonderful conversations in medicine mm. and medical and all that kind of stuff. But somewhere along the line, he would disappear. His, it would just keep go off into to another world. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yep, that's about the end of that conversation. But they would treat him as an equal for as long as they could until he decided that it was time for him to that, What a story. That gives me chills, Mike. That yeah. is so beautiful. I remember one year around the holiday time, it was either when one, in one of our groups or maybe with my kids, mm-hmm. we had baked cookies and we were just going around. And I remember this older mm-hmm. man, he was sleeping on the hard, cold pavement under a bridge. And I said, sir, I, I have a cookie. It's warm if you're interested. And he said, I don't deserve that cookie. I don't matter. And it was just like, wow. you know, to be able to wow. say, look at him and say, you matter to me. I will never, he will always live in my heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he made it through the night. He literally would not take a homemade cookie. That is how profoundly debilitating not having worthiness is and yeah. or worth is. And so, yeah, where we can be the instrument of hope, I guess, to use your word. Yeah. Not just at a holiday season, no, but no. always, yeah. as well as to live it and be generous towards self and hopeful about our own life. So we fill that cup up and that is a light we bring to the world. Um, yeah, so think, important these days. I, th- I think it's a, it's, what's the word? I always try to choose my words cautiously um, because I want to make sure that people understand that what we're talking about here is a continual presence not just I'll do it for a day or I'll do it for a month or I'll check it out. I'll try it. No, no, no. This is a continuous thing. This is a, every morning I get up, every night that I lay down, this is a thought that I wake with. This is a, is a hope that I rest with. Yes. That, that we're looking to be present in everything that we do. Will we succeed at being present? Not always. We're human. This is, you know, it is what it is. But to have the in, in the proper intent, and I was just talking with uh, who I just had him on on the show, living with intention. Yeah. And living the intentional life. Excuse me. When you live an intentional life, and, and you have that presence of mind, you'll have the space that we're talking about. You'll have the space yes. to share, yeah. uh, whether that's whether that's with the gentleman that you spoke of. Or whether it's, you know, I don't know, the Dalai Lama. Again, being able to be curious in both situations and being able to be present in both situations. The amount of of trade of Mm. gifts 
is immense. And I, I people, un, yeah. unless if you've never done this before, by the way, but just, you know, one, go get her book because we're going to put your book oh. back. In another. But two is take a second and actually think about who is it that you came across today that you look down at the ground when you walk by instead of smiling at them. A smile right. does not mean anything but hello. And, that, yes. and I think that's been lost too. How many people have you actually had conversations with where you were really listening and not waiting to get your part in? Exactly. Yeah. What what situations were you in today where you could have done something a little differently that might have even brought out a greater outcome? Yeah. Yes. Well, and I guess I go from intentionality and I'll bet your other guests talked about this to practice mm -hmm. because we can attend ourselves to still a pretty passive existence. And so some one group there, the work they're doing this month is to have every day a random act of kindness, including yep. one for itself yep. through, through this year, going into the next year. But it's, it's going back. And I know we're basically at time, but the, the way we can undo aloneness with another, I can't fix all of what's needed for the homeless population in Portland, no, none of us but can. I can say you matter to me and I can have a person that in that moment, not feel as alone. And it yep. is literally cultivating and what would it be like offering the, this bucket of hope while so. we while we can only lay out the welcome mat we can lay it out consistently until somebody either takes yeah. it or doesn't one way or another. yeah yeah unfortunately exactly. guys we've come to oh the my gosh end, and we're not again we're still not done um, i know but this was good this was i i, yeah. I really enjoyed you coming back and hanging out and, and sharing these insights and talking more about you know mindfulness and presence and things of yeah. that nature um glad we were able to connect Guys, if you need to find her, we'll have her links again down in the in the in the comments. Make sure you grab her book. I mean, she talks about all of these things in the book, guys. Okay, so if you haven't hit the subscription, make sure you subscribe, hit the bell. If you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, make sure you download or subscribe. If you're listening on anchor.fm, you can support us there. We're gonna be around for a long time. We're gonna have a lot more of these kinds of wonderful guests coming on and sharing their insights there expertise and, and some of these wonderful things that will help build hope in anybody's life including yours so yeah thanks for coming and hanging out i appreciate you thank you so much hey you have a great holiday season let's stay in touch All absolutely right. keep supporting your work i appreciate it yeah. we, we want to support yours as well for Catherine jensen burkett and myself coffee with mike stay up stay safe stay healthy and live mm. ciao for now <laughs>